0: The lesson for today is from the 38th chapter of Job, verses 1 through 4 and 31 through 33. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dress for action like a man? I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Mazaroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a common question. As we talk about this topic today, I have some wonderful images to show you. They're all products of the Hubble telescope, which has gathered wondrous data from space. When I look at such spectacular images, I'm reminded that the Almighty has created all this. I'm reminded that the Lord is infinite, eternal, and great beyond my imagining. He spoke, and everything came into being through his word. He's created it all out of nothingness. God is so other, so unlike anything else, we have difficulty grasping his nature when we ponder The great I am. We are overwhelmed. Why do bad things happen to good people? We all know about the bad things. We live with them every day. They are not to be minimized. Families are torn apart by dysfunctions, abuse, addiction, and divorce. Workers deal with unemployment and low income. War ravages countries, leaving graves, widows, and orphans. Terrorist attacks kill innocent people. Diseases bring pain, suffering, and death. We each have our personal lists of hardships and misery. No one's exempt. Here's a peek at my personal list the death of those I love, health issues, problems with family members, false accusations and slander, time pressures and exhaustion. Today we're going to look at the Bible's insights into the existence of suffering and how God deals with the pain and evil of this world. Why do bad things happen to good people? Underlying this question is the whole problem of evil. So there's a question behind the question. Why does God permit evil? God knows all things. His order and will permeate everything. He's in control. This is most certainly true. We can trust in that. And that's a good and comforting thing to trust in. He has ultimate wisdom, love, and understanding. I sure don't have that. I'm glad he's in charge and that it's his plan that orders the universe. Although God's all-knowing, we do get to make choices. Part of his plan is for us to have the option to choose to turn away from him and his gracious blessings, and his perfect plan. We are not puppets. He gives us all this decision-making capacity, whether to walk in the way of faith which he's given us or to turn away from him. We are not left to flounder aimlessly, though. He also gives his holy word and spirit to help us stay on the right path. The fact that God's all knowing and all powerful does not preclude him from creating a plan that permits us to choose. Sadly, many do choose to turn away. They turn away and live without God in their lives. It's not God's perfect plan, but they have the choice. When it comes to humans and allowing everyone choice, though, there's a problem. If perfection's the only option, then what happens to choice? If people are created to only make the right choice, the good choice, and never do anything wrong or evil, then what happens to choice? Did that make sense? Allowing people the option to choose means they can choose to do evil, to turn away from God. Now, interestingly, this question of evil is one that many people use to justify their rejection of God altogether. They say, if the traditional good and powerful God exists, he wouldn't allow evil. Because there's so much unjustifiable and pointless evil in the world, well then, that traditional good and powerful God could not exist. That reasoning's flawed. As I just explained, choice necessitates the existence of evil. And here's another thing to think about. Just because you can't think of a good reason why God might allow something to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. Human faculties and insight are limited to assume one's own Insights and understanding are as great as God's is ridiculous. In Scripture, God clearly states that His ways are above ours. In Isaiah 55, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When we contemplate the universe in these Hubble telescope images, we get a glimpse of how much higher are God's ways than ours. Images in art of our creator, God the Father, often show him as an old man with a beard. Those are so far off the mark. At the very least, they're misleading. At their worst They could be labeled blasphemous. So let's keep the great and mystical character of the Lord in the forefront as we talk about such questions. These why questions go back thousands of years. Job asks about them in the Old Testament. When calamity strikes, when suffering's great, when chaos reigns, Job asked God, why? In the lesson for today, we read part of God's answer to Job's questioning. The sovereign God reminds Job that his divine power has created the cosmos. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Then the Lord continues. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Now, the Pleiades, Orion, Maseroth, and the bear are constellations. Obviously, Job has no control over the heavens. Only God does. Just gazing at the night sky, we can see a demonstration of God's magnificence. Job's wanting God to explain himself. Job and his friends assume if bad things happen, it must be a punishment from God for something done wrong. So the questions become, why and what went wrong that this is a punishment? The Almighty does not honor this misunderstanding with a direct response, but instead underscores his sovereignty and power over all creation. In the first century, Jesus is asked a question that also assumes bad things are always a punishment from God. In the ninth chapter of John, Jesus encounters a man who'd been blind from birth, The disciples asked him, who sinned that this man was born blind? Jesus says sin is not the cause of his blindness. And then he heals the man, giving him sight, demonstrating God's mercy and power. The New Testament makes clear that suffering is not always a direct result of a person's sin. There is a book written a while back called when bad things happen to good people raise your hand if you read that book okay i see quite a few hands going up how satisfying was that book for you not so much right it was written by a jewish rabbi uh, some of what he writes isn't traditional judaism and Really, it doesn't reflect Christian understanding at all. So please do not feel that you should run out after the service and buy that book. Let's take a look at the Christian view on this issue. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's a presupposition built into this question. Do you know what it is? The presupposition is that only good things should happen to good people. Do you think Jesus promised that those who follow him will have nice, easy lives without difficulty, misery, or misfortune? Actually, he promises his followers a tough time. In Mark 13, Jesus tells his followers to expect arrest, beatings, and death. And then he adds, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus warns that those who believe in him will experience hardship. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates our Christian faith is an inoculation against having troubles. But we are assured that in all our sufferings we have a Savior on whom we can lean. Why do bad things happen to good people? Here's another thing we want to talk about regarding this question. It also presupposes we can divide people into two categories, good and bad. Presumably it's okay for bad things to happen to bad people. The next thing I'm going to say is important. There are no good people. The Bible's very clear on this. We're all bad. Our sinful thoughts, words, and deeds Permeate each day of our existence. We're all bad until Christ gives us what we do not deserve. His righteousness, his sinlessness is put on us and our sins are wiped away through faith. In Psalm 103 we read as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So we're not actually good people, but we are washed clean of our sin because of the blood of Christ on the cross. When you see the blood dripping in an image of the crucifixion, imagine that it is spelling out your name. To imply that any of us is good then denies the meaning of the cross, And if we're all bad, does that presupposition mean it's okay if bad stuff happens to us? You may be thinking that this rejects the obvious observation of the human condition. Each night on the news, there's a parade of horrid things done by people. I often say if I were tasked with thinking up all the awful things that humans do... I couldn't come up with half this stuff. Surely I'm not saying that you and I are as bad as those people, right? Our sins are not as horrid and despicable as theirs, right? Well, this leads us to another question Is there a hierarchy of sins based on magnitude? And if so, what makes one sin worse than the other? Let's go to Paul's letter to the Galatians to discuss this. Paul writes, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, is it is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. So, Every act against God's perfect law is sin for which we are cursed. For cursed, you can read damned. And unless you're perfect, you're under this curse. This is why we need Jesus. Since every sin is damnable, then we shouldn't speak of smaller and greater sins. We're all poor, miserable sinners. When people ask about a hierarchy of sin and what makes one sin worse than the others I wonder if they're getting at the Roman Catholic designation of mortal sins and venial sins Uh, Roman Catholic would say that some sins are venial or more minor and so you could just work off the temporal punishment for them in purgatory they'd say others are big and mortal resulting in eternal damnation Here's our Lutheran teaching based on the Bible. We, as believers in Christ, repentant for our sins, are forgiven for his sake. Unbelievers have turned away from God. They reject his grace. They do not confess or repent of their sins. And their sins are not forgiven. Clearly, the sin of unbelief is the chief issue here. This is the sin of That results in damnation So If you want to categorize sin In some way The big division is between belief And unbelief Is this a sin done in Unbelief Rejecting God If so it's a damnable sin If you're a faithful Christian All your sin Which really should earn you Eternal damnation Is forgiven because of Christ and your faith in him. Don't think for a minute that the Almighty turns away from human suffering. Our Lord's deliberately put himself on the hook of human suffering. In Jesus Christ, he's experienced the greatest depth of pain. He's taken on our pain. The cross promises that the Lord knows that pain and wants to help and heal us. When we think about the agony of Jesus on the cross, we tend to focus on the physical pain, which certainly would have been hideous. But the death of Jesus was qualitatively different than any other death. The physical pain was alongside the spiritual experience of cosmic abandonment. He took on the complete abandonment and rejection of the Father which we deserve because of our sin. So, let's see where this has brought us. If we again ask, why do bad things happen? We may not feel like we have all the answers. However, we know what the answer is not. It cannot be that he doesn't love us. It cannot be that he's indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and our suffering so seriously that he's willing to take it on himself. We're embraced through all our brokenness, supported in all our trouble, and loved beyond measure. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you recognizing that you are the Almighty and we are but dust. We seek your comforting presence, needing your love and the peace that only you can give. Draw us into your embrace, assuring us of your promises. We pray in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.